0: Well, hi, how are you? Um, I have actually no idea how to actually start. (laughs) I don't know why in all the talking. Yeah, let's pray. (laughs) And then Shaq's going to start. Shaq's going to make this go. So, Father, thank you so much for the chance to be together, A chance to open up your words for us, to talk about them, to talk through them, to see what they might mean for the original audience and what they might mean for us. We want to learn how to live like you, Jesus, today. We want to embody your character and ways. We want to live your mission in our neighborhoods and places of work, in our families and in our relationships today. So Father, would you teach us? Would you shape us? Would we learn to love more like you? And would we be more like you
1: when we leave here together today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you have nothing written in your thoughts, you just start with prayer. It always works. Um, So this week we're kind of doing something different. Um, Usually it is one of us up here teaching, but uh, I just kind of thought like to switch up the routine um, to kind of confuse you a little bit. Um, But we just wanted to do this to kind of jump in kind of the, the scripture uh, together, and um, we have never done this before, but we are going to try this. Uh, this is not going to be the first time we do this, but we're going to try to do this multiple times. I don't know how many times, but um, so last week we kind of touched on um, Saul's conversion, um, and from this story, we kind of... Learned that he was kind of um, changed through his interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, and on this kind of road, he is kind of brought to his feet. Oh, brought to yeah, brought to his feet, and um, he is encountering the the Messiah. Um, I know last week we talked about him um, having these words of, um, "Why are you hurting me?" And Saul kind of responds of, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. Um, And then he's kind of blind, and these men who are with him kind of lead him to to Damascus. Um, And then he is kind of met by a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. This is not Ananias from Acts, what is that,
0: 4? Yeah, this is not the Ananias that is, like, killed in a moment.
1: Yeah, he, he didn't if resurrect. You go so. back
0: to Acts 4 if you want to read that story. But that's not this Ananias. It's a different one.
1: Yes. So he, the Lord uh, kind of reaches out to Ananias and tells him to go meet Saul at a particular place, bring him back, pray over him, heal him. And he kind of basically says this to, to, um, to Saul. Um, it will come up on the screen. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, again, after that story, after he kind of tells him a little bit about that, he, it says, immediately something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he can see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So we're kind of jumping to the next portion of the, the scripture, and um, Pastor Dennis is kind of going to give us an overview of that.
0: I am going to do that. I'm going to go backwards first. Um, those two verses, David, 15 and 16, where let's think about this for a moment as we're like moving into this next passage where we're going to be seeing the way that Saul is received um, in Damascus and Jerusalem. Jesus says to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Ananias has absolutely no idea what happened to Saul along the road to Damascus. Absolutely none. He's just in Damascus living his life with, his other, like, with the disciples. He was not with Saul along the road to Damascus. He was not one of the people who was with Saul on the road to Damascus. He wasn't one of the people who heard Jesus speak to him. The first that Ananias hears is, get up and go to this man who's been killing all of you and your friends. Like, this Saul, who you know has been persecuting all of the Christians everywhere he goes. This Saul, who Ananias likely would have known, was standing in the crowds and giving approval to Stephen being stoned and killed. This Saul, all Ananias knows is, wait a minute, that guy is now your chosen instrument? He's going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to the king's and to the gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I, there's a thing that we're going to talk a little bit about as we go through this but like again what if Ananias says no? There's so many moments through the book of Acts where we see these moments that like could like point us back to Jonah. And the story of Jonah, who hears God's invitation to go preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah's like, no, I don't like them. They're evil, they're bad. And probably, Jesus. Like, if you remember that story, Jonah basically decides not to go because he knows already they're probably going to repent, and I don't really want that. So I'm going to go in the other direction. And Jonah says no. And I mean, God decides he's going to get his man where he wants him to go no matter what. But here again... Like, what happens if Ananias is just like, no, not going, not doing that? And we just consistently see these places through the book of Acts where these people, they just, they hear Jesus. There's absolutely no way Ananias could have understood the fullness of what was happening. And Ananias goes, and as shack red lays his hands on Saul, and scales fall from his eyes. Um, we're going to pick up there in verse 19. And this is the passage we're going to read through and work through today. This is what Luke writes beginning in Acts 9:19. 9, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to teach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Like, they're acknowledging that, like, they, they've heard of Saul. They actually heard that he was coming to town. And they heard that he was coming to town specifically to capture and persecute the people he now seems to be with the people whose side he now seems to be on. Luke writes, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled, um, the Jews living in Damascus, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You pointed out this week what that word proving means. I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah. me um, I mean, to speak a little bit about how I kind of always approach the Bible um, for... My enneagram fives out there. Um, I always try to approach the Bible um, like a jigsaw puzzle, like try to solve it. And sometimes that doesn't work. Um, sometimes I'm like confused uh, with things. But this word, by proving, um, I kind of—I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, I'm a urban scholar, so um, just kind of use that a lot. But that word, proven, it—it um, it is. it's kind of like combining together. So in this kind of passage, Saul was kind of combining the Old Testament reference reference to um, this Messiah that these people were longing for. So they were kind of confused. Like he was kind of like, wait, you were on our team and now you're saying you're on the opposite team. So this was... Again, this is something that we shouldn't kind of glance over or rush by because, like, the people are shocked by his words because he is saying Christ is the Lord.
0: Like, literally, up in, the implication is that up until this point, Saul would have used these same passages from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And now he's using those passages <laughs> to say, no, he is the Messiah. You should understand that all these passages point to Jesus as the Messiah, Luke continues, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Saul very quickly gains followers. He very quickly seems to have his own disciples, people who hear the gospel through him and then begin to believe the gospel of Jesus through Saul's teaching and then follow him. And it's those people who lower him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. It's important language. He tried to join the disciples. Like I'm picturing this in like a movie scene where he like shows up, knocks on the door, They open the door, and he's like, hey, guys, let's hang out. And they're like slamming the door in his face and barricading it, and they're like, do you know who's outside right now? Because they did not believe that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him too. When the believers learned of this, they took Paul Saul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So just a quick few things about this passage that are, I think, important for us to understand, and then we're going to kind of jump into more of our conversation. One is that this is a story where Luke telescopes time. We don't actually know how much time, we don't know how long Paul was at Saul. Sorry, I keep turning him into his future self. (laughs) We don't know how long Saul was in Damascus. It could have been weeks, it could have been months, it actually could have been years. Some scholars suppose that he was in Damascus for years. And that when he gets to Jerusalem, the reason the disciples, like, maybe they haven't heard the story of Saul's conversion. Or maybe they heard about it, but then Saul's gone for so long and they don't see him or hear much else from him. And so when he shows up, they're not sure if he's actually Like telling the truth, if he actually has experienced this life change or transformation. And then we don't actually know exactly how long he's in Jerusalem. So the story happens. Luke is telescoping time. All this is, it sounds like it's happening in the matter of weeks or maybe even days. But it's actually likely probably unfolding over months, if not years. So. You talked a lot this week when we were reading through this passage about how it pointed you towards sacrifice
1: yeah um, I mean I think you if we think about the cost of discipleship and what it actually calls us to it's, it, it calls us to like sacrifice and risk a lot of our securities um, if we think about um, I forget his name uh, stephen who who risk his own life for the gospel and now we see um Saul who is kind of risking his reputation he's risking his status for the gospel and that's like you know as as a personal like kind of story like that's not always easy cuz i remember being in situations where i'm like i kind of want to be with my friends and i kind of want to do what they do but i'm also a christian and how do you kind of balance this like I want to be in the world and not of it. Um, but, again, this is a story of really, like, him risking his life for um, the gospel. And his friends, like, the people he he was with, uh, uh, Judaism, like, they were believing that he was with them. And now that he's kind of transformed, he's viewed as this, this traitor. Like, you have... Grown up in this religion, you have, you kind of know our customs, and you are this guy who was, who all the coats were laid down before you, and now he is proving that the God who he hates is now the God he serves. So that, like, when I'm looking at that, this is very easy for us to read it, but like for them, it's like, it's like kind of bizarre. It's like, I don't know, it's just like for me to watch that and to see that, like, sacrificing our lives and our status and our reputation really begs the question of like what are we actually sacrificing for the gospel is it just for us to um, protect our securities, our American securities is it just for us to protect um, our name and what what we represent but it really actually does move us to this like I need to give away something for him
0: I think something that's in here, too, is that it might not make sense to us why first Stephen and now Saul, why why kill him? Why stone Stephen? Why now twice, once in Damascus, in Jerusalem, why try to kill Saul? Like in our culture, right, if somebody is communicating a message that we don't want to hear, we turn the channel, stop the podcast, or can walk past them on the street and just be like, we don't need to really listen to you. Why in the world like I think in our cultural sensitivities, it doesn't make much sense that they would get this angry. Stephen and Paul, though or Steve, I keep doing that. sorry, Stephen and Saul at this point they know that by telling the Jewish leadership that Jesus is the Messiah, they're committing blasphemy, which is punishable by death. They know that. Saul's not caught off guard by the fact that some people are going to hear him. And it, from their perspective, he is, it's false teaching. It's heresy. He's standing in these public spaces and he's teaching the Jewish people things that they fundamentally believe at their core are wrong, false, dangerous, damaging, and so dangerous and damaging that the right course of action is to kill the person saying these things. Saul's not caught off guard by this, and yet he does it anyways. Stephen's not caught off guard by what, ha- like, he does it anyways. And I think to, to your point about sacrifice, is like they're not surprised by the cost. They know the risk. And they enter into it anyways because they believe that the gospel that has changed their life is worth risking their life for so that all of the people around them have the opportunity to hear the gospel as well. Yeah. And, and I think just for me, it actually like this week, I had to ask myself the question, has the gospel changed my life enough? And do I believe that it's real enough that I would openly tell other people about it? Or do I like kind of being that unoffensive Christian who lives on the corner of my street? Like, people know, like, that's Dennis. Yeah, he and his family, they're Christians. They're nice people. They're not, like, they're just, I like, and I'm not saying that we should be offensive. I think what I'm admitting publicly is that I can't remember the last time I sat down with someone, and this is what, we talked about this this week, too, What Saul is doing is using Jewish culture to teach them how it points to Jesus. He's using the things they already know and telling them how it points to Jesus. And I guess like, what I was realizing was I was thinking of this conversation I had a few weeks ago with somebody who just was talking with me about how tired they are, how exhausted they are, and how they're not a follower of Jesus. And they're like, I just need a better work-life balance. And the whole time I'm like, what you need is Sabbath and we only understand sabbath through Jesus. And if you really need rest, the only rest you re- like the rest you really need and the rest that's really going to give you rest, that's Jesus. So I know you think you are looking for work life balance, but I think what you're actually looking for is Jesus. And I walked away from that conversation just like, well, I didn't do any of that.
1: Yeah, I think it just also as you were talking, I was thinking about, like, our faith in Jesus, like, can potentially make us traitors to our people, because we will um, turn their stories towards Jesus. We will um, point their destiny to him, and we will kind of, like, point all their questions to the answer of Jesus. So, like, when you were talking about Sabbath, like, most of our Like, faith should compel, like, us to kind of share that with other people about, like, yeah, like, if you are restless, find rest in Jesus. If you are suffering, you can be comforted by the Messiah. But it's like, I I don't know, as I was reading this more, I'm just kind of like, his, kind of his calling, like, he will suffer for my name. I'm like, I don't want that. Like, (laughs) as a Christian, I'm like, I don't want suffering. I want something that is, like, just an easy, a little bit of suffering, but something that's kind of, like, easy to get to. But to have a calling that's like, he's going to suffer for my name. Like, I would, if I heard that, I would kind of reject that calling. I'm just like, uh don't want to suffer for your name. I want to glorify your name, but suffering is, I don't want that to be a part of the picture. I think
0: think there's something really important in that yeah
1: something that we have to
0: talk about more and more i think as christians um this is not our home like i think we know that but i think it's worth saying as many times as we need to hear it this is not our home we are supposed to live our lives here as citizens of a heavenly kingdom Our citizenship is rightly rooted in the kingdom of heaven. We are aliens or exiles here. And aliens and exiles pretty much live at the margins of their culture and society. Very rarely are aliens or exiles brought to the center of their culture. And yet, if you look at culture today, maybe just to make this connection... There are large pockets of Christianity, and I would particularly like large pockets of evangelical Christianity who seem to be on this mission to make America their home. We're trying to make America like heaven. And I'm not actually sure that's the call. We're supposed to live Faithful, righteous lives. We are supposed to bring righteousness and justice to the places that we live and inhabit and the relationships that we're in. But I don't like, we never see Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is not unaware of Roman culture. He's not unaware of how godless it is. He's not unaware of how evil and sensual. He's not unaware of the fact that in Paul's, when Paul writes letters, Paul's, a lot of those letters talk about like sexual sin. Jesus isn't unaware of like the rampant sexual sin that exists within Roman culture. And yet the place that you see Jesus direct almost all of his evangelical zeal is towards the religious people very rarely in the Gospels, other than referring to Herod as, I think he refers to Herod as a fox. We don't really see Jesus go after Roman culture. Because I'm not sure Jesus thinks that he's supposed to make Rome like heaven. I think he understands we're supposed to become outposts of the kingdom in this foreign land that's not ultimately our home and in the midst of that there's constant sacrifice there's constant suffering there's constant risk instead of trying to make america a place that just aligns with all of our christian values like that's never something that you see jesus or any of the apostles undertake in the scriptures that was an unplanned part of our conversation to get to get back on track. That's good. Um, we we spent a lot of time talking about Barnabas this week. In the passage, Barnabas shows up and like, why don't you go ahead no, with that? No,
1: I was just about to ask yeah. you. We uh, were, I guess, we were talking about Barnabas and his 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 willingness. He also had a moment of risk and sacrifice by putting him his own self out there as being the son of encouragement. He, uh, in the story, he advocates for the killer. He advocates for the outsider who is Saul. Um, but we were reflecting on that, me and Dennis, and Dennis uh, shared a really awesome story about his own personal life, which I didn't know. Um, can you just share with the church about your, uh, your story of your past? Yeah.
0: Um, some of you know my history. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was in college But none of that actually became real and guiding in my life until I was about 26 or 27. And so through my early 20s, um, I actually had, I was on a business trip with my boss once. We were in California. And when he found out that i he quoted something from the Gospel of Matthew. And I was like, well, he quoted something. I was like, oh, that's from the Gospel of Matthew. He literally looked at me like, how in the world would you know anything about the Bible? My life was at least in that place where my boss was shocked that I would know this passage from Matthew. Um, And so when, like, faith really for me started to become real, um, I started attending a church and I started to try to get involved in that church. And maybe rightly... The reaction from the leaders of that church were, whoa, (laughs) your life has been a mess for a long time. We haven't really known you all that long. So, no, you can't serve in the ministries. No, you can't get involved more deeply. But, like, maybe if we spend time with one of our pastors over the course of several months, maybe we'll get to a point where we feel comfortable with that. And in the midst of that, one of those pastors just decided, I guess he didn't want to follow those rules, and he just decided, like, no, I'm going to take Dennis out for lunch. We met for lunch, and he was like, yeah, there's a lot of wreckage and debris in your life, isn't there? And I was like, yes, there is, but I'm trying to figure this out, and he was like, great, you can serve in my ministry. I know everyone else has told you no, you can serve in my ministry. You can be a leader in my ministry. You can come and be a part of my ministry, and For months, when other leaders in the church would be like, "Whoa, are we sure Dennis should be, like, in a position of leadership, this person was like, I've got him. He's mine. Like, if this goes sideways, I guess it's on me, but I've got him. He's mine. And that was the relationship that started my entire journey towards ministry. I, I know that God is sovereign. I know that he will get, like, I know that. But like I literally, if it's not for this one person saying, yes, his life is a mess. Yes, his life is filled with wreckage and debris. No, it doesn't look like he's been really following Jesus for as long as we might like him to. His life is not as clean and ordered and structured and pure as we would like it to be. But also, I've got him. It redirected my life. And its I mean, it's hard, right, to draw straight lines. But like, I think, again, this week, reflecting, I'm like, is Garden City here? If that one person doesn't vouch for me, if that one person doesn't bring me in, if that one person doesn't start teaching me, if that one person six months into me serving there isn't like, you seem like a good communicator, why don't you try teaching once? And I'm like, these other pastors, I'm not even sure they want me serving in your ministry, and you're about to tell me to, like, preach a sermon to
1: high school kids? So. Yeah, thank you for that. It, I, I mean, as I was hearing his story a little bit more, it's just like really honed in on the, the truth that like regardless of our past, like even Saul's past, like God was still able to to use him. Like I was thinking about that we all have stories of our past. Where it's like, but does God really like, I know he loves me, but does he like me? Does he want to like include me into his his mission? But it is like regardless of our past, regardless of our, our history, God is still able to use that for the good of His glory and the good of our stories, and that He's willing to, to also sacrifice His own reputation um, for the sake of uh, the greater good. Yeah. And
0: I think, like we see in Saul's story, right? Like it's His history that gives Him all of the insight and knowledge He needs to reach His own people. It's his history as an insider to then be able to go back to the insiders and say, let me share with you what I've learned and speak your language and show up in this space understanding and knowing and how that oftentimes happens in our own lives, right? For whatever reason, I think in religious spaces in particular, our history can be used as a disqualifier. And yet it oftentimes can become the platform for our greatest ministry,
1: Okay. Um,
0: Again, that was a non-scripted part. So um, I think, like, we can oftentimes be disqualified in religious spaces because of our history. Mm -hmm. And yet our history oftentimes becomes the greatest platform for our ministry.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just got to sit with that a little bit. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I think it's like, I don't know. I just think sometimes we just kind of. All right, next line. I think sometimes it's good to sit in the silence and sit with that because um, there's even moments now of being in this space and being uh, one of few African-Americans in this church, like that word always like had a hold on me, disqualified, um, inadequate. And it's like to hear that, it's like, oh, yeah, God is is sovereign enough. And I don't understand his sovereignty, but it's like he's everywhere in my story, and he's like, this is what I want you to do. Okay, you, 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 you fell there, there's grace. Let me pick you up and let me bring you here. Okay, and then now look, it's like, this is all because of God's hand and kind of using my past. Um, and it's, yeah, when you said that, I just felt really seen and, and felt God's grace of like, yeah, regardless of our past, regardless of our stories, of the secrets we have, god is still able to use that yeah
0: um so i think like to maybe try to bring our conversation together Mm -hmm. like there is this reality of like our histories don't disqualify us jesus qualifies us jesus is the one who makes us worthy Jesus is the one who empowers us. Jesus is the one who vouches for us. Jesus is the one who defends us. And in this story of risk and sacrifice, where we see chapters ago, Stephen risking his life, we see Saul risking his life, Um, where we see Barnabas risking his reputation, what if it goes wrong? What if Saul really is that person they thought he was, and Barnabas just vouched for him. That there's constant risk and sacrifice. And I think like the question that we had kind of wanted to really land on for today is like, where are we risking and sacrificing? In our lives, in our relationships, in our communities, financially, what just, where are we risking and sacrificing? Are there people in our lives who need us to be Barnabas for them
1: mm-hmm.
0: people in our lives that need someone to advocate for them and to stand up for them and to bring them in before they're all cleaned up and pretty and nice
1: yeah, yeah I, I think that's it like who are who are the people like that we need to invite into our community our home like that those people who seem like like they can't be trusted i know a lot of people in my own life i'm like eh, i can't invite him into my home <laughs> uh, maybe i can pray for him but not really into my home so like who are the people that we have written off from the face of the earth from god's hand and say nah this person is they can't be invited into our community they can't be invited to our home and maybe that is where we need to risk our time you know, maybe it's family, maybe it's our spouse, maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our coworker. Like, who are the people that we have right. written off that maybe God wants to invite us into? I think, Mr. Bruce,
0: you laminated a sign in the uh, room over here by the coffee maker. What's the sign say? You say it. All right. Uh, it, it says, "Cross every boundary." So the saying that Mr. Bruce has on the wall in there is cross every boundary. And I think, like, to to maybe just share real briefly. Years ago, when Julie and I were first married, the apartment we lived in, our neighbors were Neil and Bruce, a gay couple. And we built a friendship with them, and would have them over for dinner. And there was a night that I don't like. We shared that. I shared that story. And a person who loved me deeply and who was a person in our church at the time came to me afterwards and was like, you can't tell that story because what are people going to think of you? And I think sometimes, just again, like we have to cross the, like we have to cross every boundary. We have to risk our reputation in places because Jesus is worth it. The gospel is good enough. And if it changes our lives, and if it is the hope of the world, and if he is the hope of the world, then every person should hear it. And if we walk with the spirit of the Lord in us, then nothing can overcome us. If we believe the words of scripture, then we shouldn't be walking through our culture fearfully. And we shouldn't be afraid of bumping up against sinners and sinful people and thinking they're going to make us dirty and I'm going to become a sinner because they are. So where are we risking and sacrificing? What relationships are we stepping into with the hope of the gospel? Because Jesus is good enough and the gospel
1: is worth it. Would you pray? Yeah, um... I know this is awkward, but um, I'm just going to be silent for a while. Most, most of you guys don't know much about that practice, but I'm just going to invite us into a moment of silence, and I'm going to close us with prayer, and we'll um, do some communion. Jesus, you are good. Lord, I thank you for the the songs today that were reminding us of your goodness, reminding us of your truth, reminding us of your character. And Lord, you have risked everything for us, for your, your own glory. You have left the heavens, took on flesh, lived among us, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, expose um, the areas in our lives where we need to risk. To risk our finances, to risk our our time and our energy for your kingdom. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would would, uh, seal this time, that you would speak to your people. And we just, again, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.